Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. I mean, I can make some young people marry right, live right, do right, amen. And 
mean, you can see the effects. I mean, there'd be people have hair snatched out of their, I mean, they'd have bald spots. <laughs> so, Brother Caldwell, I don't know if that's how you've done it or not. Yeah. Maybe that is how you've done it. I don't know. It looks like you said you've done it to yourself. <laughs> I mean, man, what a glorious way to pastor a church. I'm a, I wrote beside my Bible, by that verse, I wrote, Amen and Amen. <laughs> and then here's what he said in verse 29. Brother Caldwell, not only is God going to remember what you've done, brother, for his glory, all the heartache and all the toil and the struggle and the prayers and the disappointments, but there's there's always a remnant of a crowd, no matter who you preach to, that's not going to ever obey. Right. Oh, yeah. Never going to do right. And you're going to weep over and pray for them. They're still going to go the way of the world. And here's what Nehemiah said. He said, remember them, oh, my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. Thank God for verse 31. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first roots. And here he says again, remember me, oh my God, for good. And then I thought about the verse that Paul, look in the book of Hebrews. Brother Caldwell, I thought about this verse concerning you and Miss Caldwell, Hebrews chapter uh, 10, Hebrews chapter, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse 10. This is on my heart this morning. Here's what Paul said. For God is not unrighteous to forgive your work in labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints. And here it is, and do minister. Amen. I know God has transitioned you. God, God's been, God has blessed this church. Amen. I've watched the transition. I mean, God's hand has, there's no doubt it's been the hand of God. And the transition, you've done well. Brother Caldwell, let's call it God. God is not unrighteous to get all the right. People may forget it. People may never even have lined up with it. People that your heart's still hurting over. But there's coming a judgment day someday when God's going to set the record straight. Amen. And He's not forgot your work and labor of love. And I want to tell you, I love you for your work and labor of love. Amen. You've been an encouragement to me. I always look at Brother Caldwell like the old prophet of God. You know, Samuel walking in. Come and sell peaceably. You know, you come in. Come in peaceably. Take your Bible this afternoon. Turn to the book of Luke chapter 22. The book of Luke chapter 22. Preach a message that God has put on our hearts for the afternoon. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and verse 32. Verse 31 and verse 32. I'll read this verse to you and then we'll pray. Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Turn to the book of 2 Peter. Let me read you another text and we'll pray. Give you the thought. He told Peter, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 12 through 15. He said, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it means as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor.
that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. There's no doubt you read First and Second Peter that Peter, after he, he was converted, that word converted deals with the fact of being changed from one state to another, changed from a state of sin to a state of holiness. It's not that Peter needed to be saved, but there's some things that's going to happen in Peter's life of denying Christ and things that he did after the flesh that the Lord said, Peter, when you get that right and there's a change, this conversion, a permanent change happens in your life, Peter, there's one thing that I want you to do. I want you to take to yourself the ministry of strengthening the brethren. Amen. Amen. And what Peter did, here's what Peter did. I believe he exposed himself. The Word of God wrote about it because here's what Peter's ministry was doing. Trying to keep people from messing up like he messed up. Right. Strengthen them. Amen. And so I want to preach this afternoon on the twofold ministry of the pastor. The twofold ministry of the pastor, it is his purpose to strengthen the brethren and to stir up the brethren. Strengthen them and stir them. Pastor, let me say, that is the ministry that God's called you to. He has called us to strengthen the brethren and stir the brethren. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us this afternoon. That you create the atmosphere that causes preaching to be effective in the heart of your people and in the heart of the sinner. I pray, Lord, as our minds are fixed for the next few moments on the blessed Word of God, that our hearts would be stirred up as we're preaching on the, the thought of our pure minds and our hearts being stirred up over the things of God. I pray because of this message, may some church member or some pastor be strengthened and stirred because of the preaching of the Word of God. May you have your will and way in this service. Bless the men that will preach behind us today. Use them for your glory. May your blessings rest upon this church. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. I thought about the verse, Psalms 119, verse 70, without going there. Here's what David said. He said, Lord, talking about the wicked, he said, their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in my walls. You ever seen grease when it's set up and turns white and it's hard and it's congealed? There is no stirring. It's hard to stir. It's hard to move. And sometimes it seems like we're preaching to people whose hearts is fat as grease. You're doing your best to stir them up about the things of God. To stir them up to serve the Lord. To stir them up to take a step close to God. But you look in the pews and there's only one thing I can think sometimes. Is their heart seems fat as grease. Hard to be moved. Hard to be stirred. And it takes a lot of effort, right. a lot of stirring to begin to right. break that grease down. Yeah. Yeah. And many times, preacher, the frustration is we're preaching to people that their heart's been in the world all week. They're saved. They're cold. They're lethargic. Uh, they love the world more than they love God. Their love is a pleasure more than they love God. We know their potential. We see the potential. We know what God would do with their lives. But we're preaching to them. And man, it seems like a tough effort. You preach and you preach and it just seems like there's not much right. not much yeah. movement. Right. Not much stirring. That is a ministry God's called us to. Yeah. And here's what Peter said. It is my job. I desire. I want to stir you up. He said, I know that you know these things. Now, here's what I believe. I believe we don't have lack of knowledge in church. I don't listen, my people are not suffering for the lack of Bible doctrine. That's right. That's right. My people are not suffering for the lack of Bible Bible fundamental preaching. I mean, they're not lacking knowledge. 
And here the truth is, we don't need more knowledge. We're not in the need of more knowledge. Why did preacher just preach something I've never heard? Maybe I'll do something. No, that's not the case. Listen, we don't need more knowledge. We need to walk in the knowledge we need to obey the knowledge we have. We need to. We don't need more light till God helps us to walk in the light that we do have. And so, listen. We try to stir the pot. Peter said, "I know you know these things. I know that you know it." And sometimes I come to the pulpit with a message God has given me, and I think, "Lord, I look back at my notes. I look back on the messages online, and I think it hadn't even been sixty days I preached on. It hadn't even been two months I preached this thought." And it's resonating in my heart and I'm trying to go over and the Holy Ghost says, I'm telling you, preach what I'm putting on your heart. And I say, Lord, I just preach this. The people are going to sit out there and say, what preacher you just preached on this? You know what I found out? Yeah, they're forgetful here. I'll preach the thought that I preached six months, maybe not even said two months ago. And when I come to the pulpit, I think, okay, Lord, I know this is what you want. I preach it. And they come up sometime like, preacher, man, what a message. Boy, it's been, I, mean, I don't even know the last time I heard that. And I said, about 60 days ago. Believe <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't got worried. I thought, you know, I preached at so many places. I thought, if I ever dealt with this thought, the Holy Ghost said, I probably didn't remember it, so I'll preach it again. <laughs> and so we do our best to try to stir up their minds to get the mood. Here's what the word stir means. As we think about the word stir, here's what stir means. To incite someone to action. To instigate them, to prompt them, to put them in motion, to incite to incite to action by inflaming passions and inflaming a zeal. What about you? That's what I want for my people. Amen. That's what preaching should do today. If we listen to it, if we listen today, let the Holy Ghost speak to us, it will stir us. Amen. It will incite us. It will prompt us into an action. Amen. And so, but the thought is here that Peter said, look, even after I'm gone, I want the things that I've said to minister to you, that you keep these things in remembrance. And, and here's my thought this afternoon as I deal with this subject of a twofold ministry as we try to stir them, we try to strengthen them. We call our people to action. I thought about this thought as we look in, in, in the first chapter. I want to show you a verse here. If you'll look down in chapter 1, verse 3, he said, according to... As a divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see what God's called us to? Glory and, say that word with me, virtue. It's a small word that's one of the biggest words in your Bible. The fact of virtue. Probably very a word very, very misunderstood in Christendom today. And so we say what God has called us to is to virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Look at verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence to add to your faith. What are we supposed to add to faith? Virtue. virtue. And then add to virtue what? Let's stop right there. Let's just stop. That's the beginning. At salvation, when you get saved, you, you, you exercise your belief, your trust, Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He puts God puts the faith of His Son in you as an imputed righteousness that, that gives you the righteousness of Christ, a righteous, a righteous eternal sanctification based on the righteousness by the faith of Jesus Christ. 
But here's what he said. It is your job when you get saved. God expects you. See, we have a Christianity day that expects God to do all the work. Yeah. yeah. God's yeah. supposed to save me. Right. God's supposed to make me holy. God's supposed to make me be faithful to church. God makes me do this. God makes me quit drinking. God makes me quit cussing. God, listen, God, God the Bible is full of things God said for you to do. Right. 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 You get saved, God said it's up to you. It is not up to the Lord to add virtue to your life. Right. It is up to you to add right. virtue to your faith. Sure. And then to your faith and your virtue, then begin to add knowledge. Right. This is very important. I'm going to talk about the subject of virtue just for a second because I believe it's probably one of the most important truths that need to be preached in our day because what's going on in our churches. Yeah. The new emerging church gets people saved if they get saved. Right. And when they, the contemporary church, they get them saved, and then immediately they break up in little Bible studies and begin to give them knowledge and truth. But the new Contemporary church jumps right over this matter of virtue. Right. They yeah, just ignore exactly. it. Right. Yes, sir. They jump from faith to knowledge. Right. You know what happens when you jump from faith to knowledge without adding virtue? You can end up with a hypocrite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You'll end up being a Pharisee. Yeah. See, the Pharisees had faith, what they yeah. believed, yeah. Yeah. and they had all this knowledge they applied. But they were lacking the virtue in the right. Right. Here's what virtue is. Here's what virtue is. Virtue, uh, virtue is a moral pureness from a sense and a sincere love of God and His laws, which causes a strict conformity to truth. See, virtue will make you strictly a strict conformity to what the Bible says. Strict conformity. It doesn't produce a looseness. Right. You're right. Hey, it does, it does not. It, it, you know what it produces? It produces a loyalty right. to the Word of God. Right. See, virtue, this word virtue derives, I got into studying on this word virtue and see, uh, this word derives from virtue comes from, from a plant. Do you realize when there is a plant, what they say inside the plant, the medicines that come from plant that's for the healing of man, you know what they do? Here's what they say. They draw the virtue out of the plant. The healing power, the power in the plant to change your life, that's the virtue of the plant. And virtue is what has power. You take a plant that has no virtue, it has no power to do anything for it. A plant that is lacking virtue, it has no, listen, it has no purpose. Cannot accomplish anything. It's just something to look at. It looks good. It has nothing that it can accomplish. But you realize that God gave the plants for, for the use of man and the virtue inside the plant. When it is drawn out of the plant, it is used for the healing of man, for the energy of man, for the well-being of man. It changes what's wrong with man. Virtue does. Right. So here's the thought. When you get saved, God said, the first thing I want you to add in your life after you get saved is a pureness, a cleanness, a strict conformity to the Word of God. Because when you do, that is power. It is the power that when you get around the sinner and you tell them you got saved by the grace of God, they can look and see the evidence of it, how salvation has changed you. And listen, when you begin to witness to them, it adds power and validity to your word. Yeah. Amen. Take a man who's a, who's a Pharisee. His word has no power. Why? You look at his life. 
Look at his life. They say what to do. They have all the knowledge of what to do, but they yep. don't do it. Yep. I'm afraid what we're missing in our day, listen, I, I believe that Peter was trying to stir them up. Most pastors, most preachers, when we try to stir our people, we try to stir them up to get faithful to church. Yep. We try to stir them up to read their Bible. Man, let me stir you. I'm trying to stir you up to, to you know, to, to, uh, to, to, to go on visitation. I'm trying to stir you up so you'll join the choir. Well, I'll tell you what we need to be stirring our people up. We need to stir them up to be virtuous people. Oh, right. Right. We can get them to add virtue to their faith. And then the knowledge that they get should do nothing more but make them more virtuous for the glory of God. Do you remember when that woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd and said, I've got to touch the hem of his garment? You realize what Jesus said he felt go out of him? Virtue. Virtue. That is the power of a holy life. Right. The power of a holy life has power to change a sinful life. Yes, sir. See, we don't need, I, I made this statement that, that I told my church, I, we don't need more people in the choir. We need more virtuous people in the choir. Right. Yeah. How many choirs have been hindered? I'm going to tell you in our day, this Facebook stuff, people posting their life out on Facebook, and then they get upset if you say something about it. I'm going I'm to tell you, it happened to my church. I had a couple young ladies in my choir. I didn't know how they, I thought they dressed away from church like they did when they were in church. I just took that for granted. The way they betrayed themselves in church, I just assumed that was the way of their life. We had some people show up to a revival meeting a couple years ago. Those young ladies are in the choir. The word got back to me that these other young ladies that were looking up to them, they saw them in the choir, and so they saw, they got talked to them at church, and they went and looked at their Facebook, and they saw it was on the Facebook, and their hearts sank. They said, what in the world? Right. They're not what I thought they were. And so guess what happened? That moment, when they only they what they saw they thought was real. When they were singing, they had a power to affect their heart. But once they went and looked and saw what they were, and they come back and sat down, do you think they had the same attitude toward hearing those girls sing? Mm -hmm. Lost its power. The song didn't change, the message of the song didn't change, but the vessel that was singing it tainted it. Your life matters how you live. Right. Yes, it does. You don't know why. Listen, that's why your pastor, you say, I don't know why he's always having to preach on the way we dress. Yeah. I don't know why he's always having to preach. All he preaches on is where we ought not go, what we ought not say, what we ought not listen to. Always trying to tell us what we ought not to be watching and watching and who we ought to be hanging around. He's always harping on who we ought to marry and not marry. He's trying to make your life count for the cause of Christ. Right. 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 The cause without virtue. You know what's going on? I, I deal every Saturday night. I preach on the streets of five points. Pass out tracks. I deal with that college crowd and I deal with this new contemporary young people. They come and say they're saved and they go to church. But do you realize what they allow? I got to think they allow. And these, they are, they are the most, the girls, you can't even look at them when you're talking to them. Immodest. So improper and sensual. Immodesty, the language they use. They say they're saved and they'll talk to you about the Bible and they go to some, some church with one, you know, just, just one name on it. I mean, we can just start naming them. You know, the thrill church. The jump church. You know, I mean, all the names. 
in preaching. A lot of them around here. Yeah. Okay, somebody's visiting for them there. I don't want to offend you, but but when you no longer want to call it a church, their language, they will be talking to me. Listen, they will literally take God. They say, I'm saved. Here's the church I go to in town and they're dressed immodest. They are using God's name in vain and most three quarters of them have been drinking. You smell alcohol on the breath. They want to talk the Bible with you. They're fornicating. Matter of fact, they're living together. The pastor says nothing about it. Fornication, their music. And so here's what has happened. They have skipped this matter of virtue. They got if they did get saved and they say that they're saved, what they end up doing is they go from the place of faith and they jump into right having Bible knowledge. In the middle of all that Bible knowledge, they miss this thing about virtue. Pure, holy. See, virtue is a voluntary obedience to truth. It's a voluntary obedience. I believe that I believe that what helps produce virtue is a love for God. I wrote down a thought about virtue that the Lord put on my mind that I believe without love for God, adding virtue to your life is trying to add without having any numbers to add with. You know what happens? You still keep coming up with a big zero. That's why you're trying to. That's good. Yep. Yep. Yes, sir. I believe a true love for God will produce a virtuous life. We're missing it. We're missing this matter of virtue inside of our churches. Our pews are filthy with worldliness. They sing in our choir. The men who take up the offering plates. When it comes to a person, virtue has to do with your personal life. Your personal life matters. The personal life matters. See, I thought about what... Do y'all remember in Acts 19.19 when Paul and them preached? Do you know what happened? The people came. They confessed their deeds they showed their deeds. They burnt their books and their curious arts. And the Bible says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. They added up the amount that it was 50,000 pieces of silver. I've done a study. At minimum wage today, 50,000 pieces of silver was worth $3,600. Wow. Pretty good building program with that, right? <laughs> yeah. They said, that junk ain't good for us. It's not good to sell for somebody yeah. else. Mm. To their faith, and they began to purge that stuff out of their life, here's what happened. They began, see, it was on their side to make a choice to burn these books, right. burn these curious arts, take these things and burn. They did it publicly in the presence of everybody. You know what that was? That was an act to add virtue to their faith. Mm. Adding virtue. Virtue will make you purge some things out of your life. Yeah. Virtue is what will make you clean. We are living in a society today. People want to be saved. They just want to get saved enough to go to heaven. And they just want to dress good enough when they go to church. But the personal life outside of church, listen friend, you ought not to have a double life and a double standard. You know what your preacher's trying to do when he's preaching that stuff? He's trying to strengthen your life. He's trying to strengthen you so that your life can have some power and some validity so God can use your life. God never delights in using a dirty vessel. Never. So the virtue went out of Christ. I've talked about virtue going out of the Lord and end up healing, healing them. Healed, healed a lot of people. The virtue. I also want you to think with me about this. 
I believe that virtue will stir up a love of God, a desire to be holy, a desire to be godly, pure and spotless. When virtue begins to work in your life, that's the very thing that draws you not to God. That's right. That He'll draw not to you. Amen. You know, Malachi chapter 2 verse 15 said that God is seeking a godly seed to serve Him. Right. The Lord just not looking for people to just serve Him in general. When He saves you, He's looking for a godly seed to serve Him. The truth of the matter is you can take two men. You can take two men preaching the very same message. One that loves God, serves God, prays and obeys the Spirit of God and has trying to keep his life clean for the glory of God. The other man can live loose and you see his life is loose and his language is loose and his spirit is loose. Get up with the same notes, same Bible, preach in the same manner. One message will have power and the other one will not. I believe he abounds that the glory and the efficiency of the gospel are staked upon the men who proclaim it. I believe that to be true. Corinthians said, hey, Corinthians, you know what it said? That, that in, and nothing, uh, you know, in the ministry that we ought not to, to do anything in the ministry that would bring blame to the ministry, blame to the name of Jesus Christ because we couple our name next to His name. I'm going to tell you what happens when we live wrong and unclean and dirty. People start equating Christ just like that. Well, I believe that we have come to the day that I thought about, I thought about Remember the church of Pergamos, the church of Ephesus? Remember the Lord told them at Ephesus, He said, look, you have this thing about you that you hate. You hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You hate it. Then He said to Pergamos, He didn't tell the church of, per church of Pergamos that they hated that doctrine. He said, in your church you have some of them in there. Right. And it's not bothering you. Right. Now Ephesus, they didn't have none of the Nicolaitans in their church. They just hated the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of what they taught. You want to know what the Nicolaitans, I've heard preachers preach that it's a lay preachers and speakers elevating themselves above the people. That is not the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans has to do with the fact of that the, the Nicolaitans, when you study them, they allowed the most of them. They said they were believers, said they were saved. They had churches, they were in the churches, but they, they allowed the most abominable lewdness and adulteries to take place, as well as sacrificing the idols, all which they placed among the things of indifference and pleas for the branches. These things were branches of Christian liberty. We have liberty to do these things. I have had people in my church over the last year, brothers, Listen to me. That were seem to be solid families, strong families. Some on mission field, some doing things for God. And all of a sudden, their rift with me began to be the fact that I've been preaching for years against things that they really had the Christian liberty to do and the right to do. That began to be the contention, their liberties. And we have this spirit in our day where people want to get the Word of God and see how far their liberties can go and what are they allowed to do? What can they justify? You realize, here, here's, here, here's what I believe. I don't know about y'all, but when I let my children play in the front yard, when they play in the front yard, if, if this is the road and this is the ditch, the boundary's on this side of the ditch. So if they step over in the ditch, they violate it, but there's still an area of safety. 
I don't think that you end up putting the barrier for your children to play the white line on the road. You don't have much sense of parenting if you say, here's a defined line and one little slip is in the, in the place of destruction. Right. But if I made the barrier at the ditch and that's a line and my children no longer wanted to play in the center of the yard or close to the house that every time you looked out they have set up camp to play on the boundary. That would exemplify a spirit of rebellion. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Let's get as far as I can get. Right. 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 That spirit has prevailed in our church. Sure. Yes. Yes. How far can my Christian liberties go? Right. Right. We can just start preaching on dress there. Right. How far does it go? Right. If you would put as much effort as getting close to God as you do getting how far you could get into the liberties that you're allowed to have, ain't no telling what your life is. Right. 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 Amen. And now a preacher becomes legalistic if he's trying to hold some kind of standard. I mean, I, you know, you may not do this. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, our platform is not this low. Our platform's about that high. And I told the ladies in our choir, I said, look, when you are up here singing men, ladies, when you are up here singing in the choir, I want you to know that this is just not for entertainment. You become a minister ministering right. in the service right. for the glory of God. Right, right. And being up on a platform that, listen, I'm the only thing, the only rules I'm making is I want your skirt about mid-calf. I don't want it at the knee, above the knee. I'm just telling you that's my requirement. It's sad that McDonald's has a greater dress code. Yeah. Yeah. Most Baptist churches. Yeah. Right. Right. Matter of fact, I brought it in my church. I, we went, we rented a skate ring. We rented a skate ring, and 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 you know, played our own music at the skate ring. Had a big outing about four or five months ago, and on the window of the skating ring, they had dress codes. Yeah. Nobody got mad. Nobody said, "Well, if that's how it's going to be here, I ain't never skating." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're preaching against how some of the people dress in our churches. They had a dress standard, and I took a picture of it. I brought it to the pulpit, and I said, it is sad when a, when a skating ring that plays rock music has more standards about comeliness and modesty than our churches have, and a pastor gets anywhere close to saying these things. You know why he does that? He's trying to strengthen your life. Good. Here's what I believe. I believe that the heart gets right, and virtue gets applied to one's life, they'll yes. begin to fall in line naturally. Yes. Amen. Amen. Things will begin to happen. That's right. right. And so what's happened in our day is they want to move the line on dress, they move the line on music, uh, you know, they move the line on where who people hang out with, the words they can use, the places they can go, what's acceptable in courtship, who they should marry, what Bible they should use, and what church they ought to go to. All up under this thing. You know what God said about the doctrine of Nicolaitans? He said, which thing also I hate. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. We're no longer under law, we're under grace. Yes. We're not under law anymore. They want to use that, by the way. You know, I got to thinking about God's standard of holiness. Think about God's standard of holiness. It's much higher, really, than our standard. Oh, yeah. I got to think about I got to look at the Bible. I thought about when, when Uzzah touched the ark. Strong standard of holiness. Yes. Right. Keep your hand yeah. off holy things that are not to be. Yes. Amen. I thought about Ananias and Sapphira just lying to the Holy Ghost yeah. about their giving. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yes, yep. Wonder how many funerals we'd be having in our church today. That's not the preacher's standard. That's God's standard. 
Hey, God said, hey, it was in your power. You could have just come in and said, we're just giving half of it. But you lied, joined that like you was everybody else. And Ananias and Sapphira, she was privy to it. And said, yeah, that's how much we sold them for. We're giving all of them. The Holy Ghost dropped them dead. You know what's happening? When our parents won't be, have virtue that's right, you realize what happened? The young men in that church service, the young men had to pick up Ananias, carry him out. They should have been in church. Yeah. But because of the sin of the adults, get some young men out of the church service. They're out there burying the dead, dealing with the dead. As soon as they come back after hours thinking, man, I can't wait to get in the atmosphere. can't wait to get there around the things of God. They walk back in and I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, let me tell you something, Sapphira. The very ones that took your husband out and buried him, they're at the door. She dropped dead and those young men again. And they pick her up. Carry her out and bury her. They probably missed about a good five, six hours of worship. Dealing with dead parents. Yes, sir. Dead, dead adults. Are we leading the way of holiness? Leading the way of virtue? Kept them out of the house of God. We want to wonder sometimes why are not our kids in the house of God? It could be the deadness around them keeping them out, hindering them from getting into worship. Yes, sir. Amen. Lord God, that will preach. That's right. I believe that's one of the problems of our day. Probably one of the main problems of our day dealing with our young people. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter twelve with me. Ecclesiastes. It's a matter of virtue. I remember when God saved me. I remember going immediately back. Let me, let me get there real quick. I remember going back to my friends as soon as I got saved and began to tell them that God had saved me. I began to tell them. I wasn't, I wasn't told all my friends, man, I just got saved. Yeah. I went to church and I got saved. You no, know, that really didn't mean but okay, you got saved, okay, wonderful. You got saved. <laughs> didn't really bother him that much. It's just okay, man, whatever that means. Over the next two or three months, they begin to see what that means. Yeah. 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 When I first came and told him that I got saved, really didn't convict him that much. Didn't have much of a stir, much of a movement. Okay, man, you got saved. I go to church, I'm saved too, you know. And all of a sudden, Pete, boys that I went that I hung out with in high school, all of a sudden they said, Yeah, man, I go to church. I'm like, You go to church? You never even talked about church. Never even knew they went to church. But over the next few months, the matter of virtue in my life began to cause a pretty good stir. Began to have an effect with the young men that I run with. Yeah. To the place where some of their lives were convicted over their sin, and a few of them ended up getting saved by the grace Amen. of God. Amen. Amen. One of them, young man, is a preacher and a pastor today. I went to the Lord in high school. And Amen. he said, I've been called to preach as pastor today. Amen. But a life lacking virtue has no power right. to influence a life that needs help. <laughs> no effect. But I thought about Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in respect of this message. I thought about our ministry to stir up and to to, to stir up people and to strengthen people. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, look at verse 8. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Verse 10. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise, you preachers have preached on this. What are they? They are as goads 
and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. You know what a goat is? A goat is, I know, I think here I dealt with it one time a few years back, but a goat is that, that man who's plowed with the oxen. Matter of fact, Elijah, remember, he slayed and slew the oxen. Elisha did. You know, you know, one of the things, one of the instruments that he burnt that he would have had for plowing, he had to have a goat with him. So what happens, these oxen, as they are plowing, they'll get to the place where they'll just quit. They'll just stop. Matter of fact, they'll just sit down, hooked up to the plow, and it doesn't matter how you're trying to get them to move. You can holler and you can you can snap and you can do all you want to. Tell them to get going. They're young. But they've done sat down. They've done quit. They've got legs. The shepherd, what he'll do at that moment, a goad is an instrument that looks like a spear. It's about 10 to 12 feet long. And on the end of it, it has about a foot long piece of metal made out of metal or iron that comes to a sharp point. I like it. It can look like a weapon to kill somebody with in war. And so what that, what that shepherd would do is he would get out there beside that ox and he would take he would take that staff. You know what he would do? He would prod and he would goad the oxen. That long point at the end would pierce through his tough hide, hit that tender skin and get him stirred up to move. That's exactly what preaching is. He said, man, that, that preacher, man, he hurt me. No, he wasn't. Man, he was trying to kill me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I just don't know about that. He's so hateful and so hurtful. He hurt my feelings. No, friend, he was just trying to goad you a little bit to get you moving. Sure, we don't have we don't have Christians that have tough hives like they used to. <laughs> so thin skin and feminine skin Christians in our day can't handle the preaching. Some of us cut our teeth. Off. Right. Yeah. You're right. I, be right or wrong, I'm telling you. I told it at a men's conference just yeah, just a couple weeks ago. My pastor, man, my pastor, thank God for it. It helped mold me in the ministry, man. He was tough. He was hard. Let me tell you how he was. Whether right or wrong, this helped mold me. This is the way he was. I mean, I, I remember knowing how how tough my pastor was on me. And I was called to preach. And I was, I, I, you know, I, I've been on the mission field. Already been on the mission field for four and a half years. Come back to be his associate. And, and my wife, we were having our first baby, Scott, you know, my oldest son, Scott. We're having him. And and he was getting ready to be born, and I was begging God, Lord, please, don't let him be born on a Sunday or a Wednesday. You know how hard that's going to be on me. I want to be there when he's born, and my pastor, man, if I'm not there, he's going to rip me. And so I'm begging God, and so, you know what the Lord did? He was so gracious, let him be born on a Wednesday. <laughs> and about 6 o'clock in the evening, you know, he begins to come, and I'm there, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm thinking, man, I've got to get to church. I want to see my baby. I want to know how much he weighs. I want to be here for my wife, but I know how hard my pastor is on me. And I'm going to tell you, all of a sudden, i got to hold him just for a second, put him down, said, i got to get to church. Baby, I love you. Get to church. I'll be back soon as church is over. And I run into church now. They just were singing the last hymn. Preaching hadn't even started yet. And I sat down in the pew and I saw him eyeball me and I said, oh, this is not going to <laughs> And he gets up and here's what he said. Bless God, Williamson, where were you at? I said, well, Scott was just born. He said, hey, he said, son, they've been having babies for thousands of years. They don't need you. <laughs> and he called me and I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Most of the people in our day, 
I didn't think it was. <laughs> mean and hard. Yeah. I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong. I, I would treat one of my young men like that. But that may be why they're not amounting to much. Maybe they need the same kind of treatment sometimes. I'm going to tell you, you know what he was doing in my life? He was goading me to be all that I could be for the glory of God. You know what the word goad means to prompt, to incite, to stimulate, to urge forward, to arouse by anything with severe and inflaming by an inflaming action. So that word goad, that pointed instrument. Why? Because the oxen stops, he quits, whether you get faint-hearted. I mean, y'all ever tried to wake somebody up that's sleeping and they needed to get up and they asked you to get them up and you go to wake them up and they get mad at you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you need to get up. Leave me alone. <laughs> trying to help you. Go ahead, sleep, sleep on through your appointment or be late to work or whatever. <laughs> like you asked me to get you up and you're trying to get them up. Brothers and sisters are like, leave me alone, get out of here. Time the preacher is just trying to wake you up and right. he responds that right. He's right. just trying to be your helper. Right. Trying to get you up out of your slumber. Right. It is, listen, it is your pastor's God given responsibility right. to stir you up and strengthen you. And many times that has to do with, with saying things to you you don't want to hear. That's right. That's right, so, that word go to incite and stimulate, to urge forward. To arouse by anything severe or inflaming. As people quit, they're slothful, they slumber. The word provoke to love and good works, it means to call one to action, to incite, to stir up, to move forward. And, and listen, to provoke and to love and good works. Here's what Isaiah, look at Isaiah 64. Here's a problem. I'll be done here in just a second. Isaiah chapter 64. Look at it with me. Isaiah chapter 64. Look at verse 7. Look what Isaiah said. Isaiah 64. Verse 7. He said, There is none that calleth upon thy name, look at this statement, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. Thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. I want to talk to the church members just for a second. If you don't learn to have a walk with God on your own yeah. and stir yourself up, if you'll learn to do that, it'll sure take a lot of energy off the preacher. Right. Yeah. And Paul told Timothy, he said, look, I'm mindful of your tears. I'm mindful of your grandmother and your mother, Lois and your nice, and I'm convinced that they were real and that your faith is real also. He said, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in you. Stir right. it up. Right. What we need inside of our churches and our pews are people that come to the house of God that have already stirred themselves up by being in the Scripture. Amen. They've stirred themselves up. They, they, they know how to minister to themselves. We've got people sitting in the pew that have been babes and they're 20 years saved. Right. 15 years right. saved. Yeah. Yes, 10 years saved. Yes, the preacher's having to do it, just try to stir them and move them and they're slothful and they quit and they stop and, and I'm it is wearing the men out in the pulpit. Yes. Yeah. Is there anybody that will stir himself up? 
that take hold of God? Anybody that stir? See, the stirring we need, I believe, is a matter, this matter of virtue. We got people that want to, listen, knowledge will puff up. When you have faith and knowledge with no virtue, it produces pride. Right. Right. You're right, brother. Mm -hmm. Pharisee. Right. It produces pride. Good. Virtue. This matter of virtue matters. It matters a whole lot. Matter of fact, I think that Timothy's godly heritage, a grandmother and a mother, I believe that godly heritage, when he said, stir up the gift of God, it's right on the coattail of that verse. I believe a godly heritage ought to stir us up. Amen. Heaven, heaven, parents and grandparents that love God and serve God, young people that are to stir you up to walk in the way of your grandmother, your mother, your father, I believe that ought to stir us up. I believe the scripture should stir us up. Amen. I believe not only that, in the book of in the book of Peter, he said, look, did not the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you remember that he said in the words of the apostles, and the last day scoffers shall come? You know what he said? He said, hey, the scoffers are to stir us up. You see people scoffing against the things like that are to stir you to live for God. Remember when Paul? Paul came there, Mars Hill, and he was going through that, but you know what he said? His spirit stirred in him. He looked at the people with no knowledge. I'm telling you, looking at sinners out there that need God, that ought to stir us up. Right? Amen. Amen. Sinners should stir us up. The scripture should stir us up. A godly heritage should stir us up. And when we say, when we look at the wicked around us, man, that ought to stir us up to live for God. Amen. Well, we need some people. That's what preaching, listen, preaching, if you sit in preaching and you leave unstirred and unchanged, your heart is fat as grease. Because preaching should so stir your heart to say, yes, Lord. Amen. I believe that good Bible preaching demands a response. Amen. You know what? I love preaching that will put me at a crossroads. I love preaching that will bring me to a place and say, here's how God said you are to go. That you can have your way, your way, or go back the way you come from. But God said, that's the way to go. And it puts you at a crossroads to make a decision. That's what good Bible preaching does. Amen. Amen. And preaching, preaching demands response. Response when we lead, when your pastor has preached, men of God, when you preach, your Bible and the Holy Ghost has demanded the people to make a choice to line up with or to walk away from what you have preached. And if you will just learn, listen, I believe that I believe I understand discipleship, but I think that if we would just <laughs> obey and listen and study what is preached from a pulpit, you'd get pretty grounded with that. I believe you can get really grounded with that. I thought about also, how about the men, God's standard of holiness. The men, remember, remember when the ark of God was coming back from the Philistines and they opened it up and looked inside of it? Because how many thousands of Israelites died that day? Why? God said, don't look at it. What about, what about the severity of Adam and Eve? Just eat a piece of bread. I think that we have taken God's standard of holiness and tried to put it down to our standards. Yeah. We have lessened the standard. How about think about Moses leading the children of Israel? God didn't let him go into Canaan. Yeah. Smote the rock twice. Why is that? I mean, why? God told him to speak to it. He smote it. He smote it twice. Why? Listen, because Christ died once on the cross of Calvary. The rock of ages died once. He didn't die twice. He broke down the type and the picture that God was getting through his disobedience. And that one act of disobedience. Kept him out of cave. Right. Yeah. And he prayed and said, God, just please let me come in and see it. God said, Don't talk to me about this. Go up on Mount Pisgah and get it there. I'll let you look at it. 
that you're not going in. Now, it's a matter of holiness. It's how the fellow on the Sabbath day picked up just a couple sticks to pick himself. You say, all these are so slow. Just touching something, eating something, looking in something, two acts of striking something, just telling one little lie about how much you gave. I think God's a pretty holy God if we, if we look at the examples here. He is a holy, righteous God. How about Achan? How about Achan just taking a Babylonian garment, this wedge of silver and gold, 50 shekels of weight, and just hit it in his tent? That's, that's nothing compared to all that was left. God thought it was. Here's the problem. We want to form in our own mind the standard of God's holiness. Yeah. Yeah. He's already told us the standard of holiness. Right. Yeah. Right. And virtue, you know what virtue will do? Virtue will make you leave your life and line up with a strict conformity to the truth of the Word of God. Sure. And when you will, let me say this, you will be able to experience the power of God in your life. Amen. I believe the power of God on a Christian's life is hinged to this matter of virtue. Sure. When the vessel's dirty, you lose your power. Right. You lose your fellowship. Lose your relationship with God. Here's also what they're teaching. Man, they're teaching. God, God who was staying with my church, this is kind of what he, what he believes now, that there's not really anything. They teach, they teach, they teach this thing that when, when God saves you, all your sins, past, present, future, are taken care of. First John 1, 9 is really not for you because you don't need to confess your sin. If you go to God... And say, Lord, forgive me what I did today. God said, What do you here's what this a preacher said. A preacher said, That's like slapping God in the face. Because he already took care of that when he died. For you don't need to confess anything. God doesn't hold it against you. You're accepted in the beloved. Because you're accepted in the beloved, nothing can can affect your relationship with God. That man has not studied his Bible too long. Right. What's this matter of chastening all about, if that's the case? You can displease God. You can break your fellowship with God. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh,